0: Super Bowl Sunday here in the U.S., and while everyone else is out eating wings and drinking beer, we're recording the Lolly Gaggers podcast, because no one ever invites us to do those other things. In this episode, Jeff heads to space for a murder mystery in Hadrian's Wall, while Justin gets stunned by the beauty of Anthem. The Gentleman's Challenge is even more dignified than normal with Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman and Academy Award nominee, Roma. Welcome to episode number forty two of the Lolly Gaggers Podcast, the show about all sorts of different things from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I am the one, Justin. How's it going, man? It's going all right. It's going all right. It's raining. It's been like raining all morning. I live in
1: a desert. That's what it was. This is not supposed to happen. It's supposed to happen where I'm at, not over there. Uh I'm I'm the rainy place, not you. Yeah. Hey, have you uh
0: have you started have you watched uh Deadly Class on Sci Fi? Yeah.
1: I haven't, but I probably am going to get into it because, uh, it's comic book based and sci-fi channels. So I can't, it's got Wong from, uh, from, yeah. uh, uh, Dr. Strange. So probably going to get to it at some point. I also got to watch a bunch of stuff like Punisher and a bunch of other things, but it is on the short list of things to watch. Yeah. Uh, it's like three episodes in. I love it. I've been watching it and,
0: uh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Like the main guy reminds me of, uh, like a young Christian Slater for some reason. So it's, uh. It's pretty crazy. I mean, I he, mean that, he I he mean me that good Christian way. Slater. I mean, you're that's a that's a win for me. I think. So. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Christian Slater acted by pretty much doing his Jack Nicholson impression. That like that was his whole shtick when he was younger. I mean, it's copy what you know, what works, right? I mean, yeah, I just love it because there's all sorts of like it's just it's it's 80s man. It's like Soviet. It's like Soviet USA. Like uh, Cold War stuff. It's like. Uh, Ronald Reagan references. There's the Smiths that are plants, all sorts of stuff. It's crazy, uh, but I'm digging
1: it pretty heavily. Uh, I'm going to have to probably check it out here. I got, I got, I got yeah. a bunch of stuff I got to watch. Yeah.
0: So speaking of the Cold War, Justin. Oh, uh, <laughs> I see.
1: <It's>, these <laughs> hard <laughs> transitions, you got to find a way in.
0: <laughs> this is good. You found this a good. corner
1: and you made a shut. That's good it's, good. it's good.
0: Speaking of the Cold War, I want to talk about uh, a new comic that I have read uh, called Hadrian's Wall. Uh, it's by uh, Kyle Higgins and Alex Siegel, who apparently are known for a comic called Cowl. And it's got art by Rod Rice or Reese. Not sure what to put, put the, uh, the emphasis. It's published by Image Comics. Uh, it is an eight-issue comic that is over and done. It was like a eight-issue and done stuff, so it's not like ongoing or anything. I'm not sure if there's a specific terminology that I should be using. Uh, but it is a kind of a near-future locked room murder mystery, if you know what I mean by that, like a murder on the Orient Express, a death on the Nile, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's set on Hadrian's Wall. Hadrian's Wall is a deep space science ship. Um, so why am I using the Soviet Union slash USA Cold War as a transition? Thank you for asking. So the comic place, <laughs> takes place in uh, 2085. And it's set in an alternate universe that saw the Soviet-U.S. Cold War turn hot back in 1985. Okay, so it's 100 years post 1985. And in 1985, like in the hist- in the in the past, and this isn't something that's really shown in the comic. It's just sort of reference. Uh, the two superpowers they start shooting nukes at one another, basically. Uh, but since then, peace has prevailed in those two nations. Uh, you know, Russia, uh, USSR and, and USA have started exploring space together as allies and partners and everything's great. But unfortunately, a hundred years later, there's another Cold War brewing, uh, but it's not with the Soviets. It's instead between the entire planet of Earth and with their biggest, and I guess most successful space colony called Theta. Uh, and so there's like references to people called Thetans and Theta. It's just humans. Uh, so it's got this kind of, 1980s feel it's got that kind of alien aliens like ridley scott type stuff uh if you look at like the technology there's a lot of like green green fonts on black backgrounds on computer ship terminals uh there's like dot matrix printers and stuff still it's pretty awesome so it's got that kind of retro future feel uh so the politics itself are mostly in the backdrop at least for the beginning of this comic Uh, but as you get to the later issues things begin to to emerge as things get complicated. So the basic premise of this, so that's like all the backdrop, it's political backdrop. Now, the basic premise is that the comic follows Simon Moore. That's the main character. He is a former cop uh, from Seattle, Washington, uh, who is asked by an old friend to come and investigate the death of the first officer of the Hadrian's Wall, it, uh, who, which is an Antares, I believe, is the name of the company. It's their company ship. Now, at first, it seems kind of like an accident. Uh, But the company wants to figure out if that's the case. They want to kind of go through proper procedure, get the rubber stamp on it, etc. And so they go and search out uh, Simon Moore, who is an ex-cop, probably in need of work. Now, the only problem with this, or at least to complicate matters, is that Simon's ex-wife, Annabelle, serves on the ship. And the guy who died, Edward, is the man that she left Simon for and is Simon's ex-boss because he, too, was in law enforcement. Making matters worse is that Simon has a bit of a painkiller addiction that stems from getting shot multiple times by Edward uh, several years back. Uh, And yeah, yeah, so that's fun. Uh, So there's all sorts of these internal conflicts that are going on. There's all sorts of gray area. There's all sorts of conflicts of interest, but still. There's a really big paycheck uh, and uh, and the comic would be really boring if he decided not to go. Uh, So he goes and we have the comic and it becomes very fun. Uh, So the basic, basic, I, I would say, if I were to, I can't really, it's hard to compare this to anything specifically, but if you've ever watched like, you know, any sort of Agatha Christie locked room mystery stuff going on, like Murder in the Orient Express already referenced, the idea that they're in a localized setting. And so a spaceship, someone was killed and now the person has to figure out who it was. I mean, that's what this basically is. It it's a it. It is a whodunit. It's very much a whodunit. It reminded me in a little bit, a little bit of Sean Connery in Outland. Uh, I'm not sure if you know that one from like, I guess it's like early eighties or something like that, where he was a like a cop on a, on some sort of, I guess it was a space station. I can't, I can't really remember. It was like a mining space station or something like that. And there was like all sorts of drug rings going on. Uh, so it reminded me a little bit of that, uh, at least at first, just because of the setting and all sorts of things. So, it's a really interesting and it's a nice self-contained story. And that's really honestly what I've been looking for a lot in comics. I was trying to, I'm trying to find self-contained stories because I really I don't want to keep getting hooked to these ongoing, these ongoing comics. I want to, I want to like read and be done. Um, now there are a handful of characters, but you don't really have to get too many of them. So the main ones obviously are Simon and Annabelle uh, but then you have the rest of the crew. So there's like the captain, a couple of science officers, etc. And they're sending science probes down to this, uh, basically a moon. Like they're they're kind of exploring and trying to get this particular uh, substance, this compound up, uh, which for all intents and purposes is just sort of a MacGuffin. Uh, and so it becomes clear very quickly, and this isn't really a spoiler, that Edward Edward's death was not accidental, but it was in fact murder. Now the- murder. yes murder and so at the very beginning of the comic the first couple a uh, couple images you see is him coming to consciousness while in an eva suit uh and there's like a little crack in his mask and then over the course of a couple panels uh that that crack basically explodes or implodes or whatever and he dies uh to exposure uh and then the investigation happens shortly thereafter and they you know, we start to learn did, why he went out there. there was this impression that he was fix he was doing some sort of repair, but it wasn't logged and then they're trying to figure out, all right well if if it wasn't an accident, then who killed him? why did they kill them, etc. As the, as the comic progresses, it becomes clear that there's more going on than just straight up murder. Like there's more there's more to this than what is immediately perceived and that's kind of how to some degree those politics and things start coming into play. Now I do not really want to give a whole lot away because it's a murder mystery and so to me giving too many details would be absolutely uh, stupid. Uh, but I will say that I like the I like this quite a bit. Uh, the art by uh, by Reese is pretty pretty nice. Um it's very I don't know the best way to describe this but it's very face face focused meaning like there's so many so many panels are close-ups of character faces or are mid shots like uh, where the the highly detailed section of the panel is very clearly on facial expressions. It actually seems full and robust, whereas the further away we get away from those faces, it gets more and more uh, more and more thinned out to the point where like when you get to the very edges of the panel itself, it's not the most um you know it's not the most robust or the most uh the most colored images. um Now, I mention this because there's this really cool sequence in the very beginning. I guess this is sort of like end of issue one, beginning of issue two where Simon's doing a lot of these initial interrogations where he is having these one-on-one conversations uh, with the various crew of Hadrian's wall, asking them different questions. And you, you see like this really nice moment where like their facial expressions and their body language are kind of giving away the emotions. So you don't have to have that really stilted dialogue that sometimes happens in comics where like, we're being told I am angry and like, you know, instead there's like these, very clear facial expressions that are kind of conveying that emotion. So I really like how that actually works. Um, as, as the, I, I guess the first episode or the first issue closes. Uh, Simon's painkiller addiction becomes a kind of a, a very key component because he brings this whole bag of, of painkillers with him that mysteriously gets dumped down a drain. And so now not only is he dealing with, a crew that doesn't really want to answer his questions an ex-wife who parted on horrible circumstances, uh, with Simon and who is honestly a a very chief suspect in the death of Edward. But now he's dealing with withdrawal from painkillers. And so all of this creates these, these wonderful different conflicts, uh, and these, this all sorts of obstacles and all sorts of complex, uh, complex interactions. And it creates a really nice, big, big mess. Uh, I guess it gets a little strange at the end. I would say um, it was a little bit surprising some of the things that happened. But looking back, like there were some, you know, there were some moments in the early issues where I guess thing like some groundwork was laid. But uh, some some of the turns that it takes towards the towards the, towards the end of the the run, I almost wish there was like a second or third, you know, a second or third extra issue. Maybe it was like a ten issue comic or something to kind of help make some of those changes a little bit more. Uh, they didn't. Not, I don't want them to feel so rushed because it did kind of feel a little rushed towards the end. Uh, but at the same time, I think the story still works overall. It's a good arc. Um, we didn't really get to know too many of the side characters. Uh, it really does focus a lot on Simon and Annabelle, his ex-wife, and that what actually went down. There was quite a few flashback panels and um, good chunks of certain issues that deal with what actually happened like seven years ago and five years ago and four years ago as Simon and Annabelle's... Uh, marriage broke down and how edward got into got in the way etc um but i highly recommend it especially since it's it's a it's a one one done like you just read it and it's over uh you don't have to worry about like guess being ongoing forever i got it off comiXology it's 12.99 up there right now uh, i don't know how much it is uh elsewhere or how much it might be in kind of physical form uh, but for twelve ninety nine this took me the you know better part of a day to kind of go through. then I read back over a couple panels here and there as well. but it was a really good, really good story. Uh, I think it it's mature in the sense that it's dealing with kind of adult uh, kind of adult relationships uh, and kind of going through like what does it mean when a relationship breaks down uh, and it kind of you're done with it. Uh, so it actually handled things I thought in a very mature way. and it also didn't make. It made the future seem plausible, like what was actually going down in 20, 2085 seemed relatively plausible. Uh, I, I almost wish there was a little bit more so we could see once this does blow up beyond just the the localized murder mystery into sort of bigger motivations, I almost wish there was more time to explore those more deeply. Uh, that's the only probably regret uh, I, I would have about it. Other than that, it's a very good read. Uh, and uh, I highly recommend it. So Hadrian's Wall, it's by Kyle Higgins and Alex Siegel. It's out by Image Comics. Uh, take a look.
1: All right, Jeff. Well, thinking of who done it in Soviet Russia, um, I got to play the demo of Anthem this weekend.
0: Right. I would have gone with thinking of like big giant, you know, socio conglomerate uh, powers that are just taking away fun from society. I played a game by
1: EA. That's, that's oh, that, the that works too. That's, that's I thought transition. my transition I thought my transition was pretty smooth, but I'll go yeah, it totally, was, totally was. Totally was. All right. So anyways, I played Anthem this weekend. It's a free beta. Uh past couple weeks, I guess there was a a VIP beta and the VIP beta works if you have like the premium origin service where you pay a monthly service, you get early access to betas. But it failed horribly. Like it didn't work and load times were infinite and it was actually breaking some people's computers. So this weekend was the open free trial, and I got on there and I downloaded it last night. And I played it for about five hours this morning. Um, I played some by myself and some with my with my boy Gabe. Um, and the first thing I say about this game <clears throat> is that it is gorgeous, absolutely stunning. Um, the the environments it's kind of got it's got like a uh, uh, what's the what's that movie uh, with uh, Pandora. Uh, avatar avatar. Feel yeah, 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 it's got an avatar feel to it. But then it's also like uh, uh, Halo mixed with uh, destiny and Borderlands. It's, it's just like a a really beautiful uh, 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 escape. And like, when you, you can like dive into the water too. And when you dive into the water, the whole scenery changes becomes bioluminescence, completely different type of scenery. Like, it's stunning how this game looks. Um, it runs, it's not optimized well, which is the problem. So it, it's choppy from here to there. I'm terrified to stream it because I think it'll make my computer explode. Um, but uh, overall, it is beautiful. Combat is really fun and interesting. You can do air dodges and lots of flying and dodging and, 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 and running super fast. I, I uh, equate it to like a Destiny game, but it's third person. It's over the shoulder. Uh, it's also kind of like a Borderlands... But then also there's this game called Warframe. Kind of looks like Warframe like that too. It's very fast paced, lots of shooting. There's bullet, uh, there's basically like bullet sponging type of attacks. It's not like you shoot a guy in the head, he's dead. But there is accuracy, there's bonuses and crits and stuff like that. And there's also combos with different types of abilities you can do. So there's four unique types of suits. They're called javelins. You have like your basic commando suit, which is like you know, your call of duty. Which is style. your naked um you yeah, get it? Well, nah, never mind. It's just like your your general soldier style character. You have a heavy suit which looks like um uh a giant it looks like uh from uh the you know the, the we saw the second um uh Pacific Rim, that little mini Jaeger that they had that was that the little girl made kind of like that's kind of like a junker, big and bulky. You have yeah. a, a wizardy type one that has a lot of like s- spells involved. And then there's a, a stealth sleek one. And so there's four major ones. And like, so the javelins have different types of abilities, and different, different types of like moves uh, between each different javelin. But There's also tons of customization in the way they look. You can change uh, different, like, there's a lot of cosmetics that's going to be involved. I guess the game is toting that a lot of their loot boxes and stuff that EA loves to do. is going to be just purely cosmetic and not performance-based. Your characters can look really, really cool and interesting. Different types of paint jobs and decals and stuff you can put on. Um, But basically, you have four major... uh, archetypes and then you can kind of just customize them any way you want. And I I can see a lot of like really interesting type of ways you can make these things look. There's three major ways to play in the demo. There's just open world. You can just go around and just kind of see the place and like fight open stuff and loot crates and stuff like that, little tiny mini events. Or you can do, there's a major storyline that doesn't go very far. Me and Gabe did one of those quest lines in it. And it's just kind of like introducing you to the game and the, the main lore of it. And then there's also, you can go into many dungeons and play in these dungeons. And I did one of those by myself, but when you get into it and you queue, it automatically queues you with new with other people too. So the demo is just kind of giving you a look of everything. I'm sure there's going to be a PVP aspect to it as well, a multiplayer across uh, across the internet to kind of like have, you know, perform like like battle-based types of fighting and stuff like that. But it's it's really just a gorgeous game. Um, The biggest problem I have with it right now is that it's EA and I am terrified about a company that changed international law because of loot crates and stuff like that. And uh, how are they going to deal with this game? It's a AAA title. AAA titles as of recent haven't really done a great job uh, with like these releases without getting super hungry for money, you know, and I I just I'm really curious about what's going to happen in the long run with this it has a lot of promise and it just seems like it could be a really really good game and fun you know it's got this lore that can just expand and keep on creating expansions and different types of of dungeons and and raids and stuff and so i think this game could have a long uh, lifespan but i think it all is based off of the idea of how is ea going to find a way to squeeze money out of the consumer for this because that's all they seem to be doing They become quite a a villain in the uh, video game industry, so I just it makes me terrified to want to get into this game and invest in this game because I'm afraid first off, if something that might happen with the servers and making kind of garbage, or they're just going to try to find a way to to milk the consumer for whatever they can. Because I already do that with Blizzard, I can't do it with EA now too. So uh, I can only exp- I can only spend all my life savings on one video game. I can't do it on two. So
0: right, but at least this,
1: if you were spending on
0: this, it would be a modern game. Uh, and not, and a not 11 years old, still charging you a premium for a game that's like ridiculously old at this
1: point. I just I really am afraid about will they have performance based uh, pay to win type of stuff is it all going to be a cosmetic. Is something going to happen along the lines of like Star Wars where it just kind of is like very repetitive and cookie cutter and though it looks very pretty it's like yeah. anthems
0: primarily it's primarily pve right like that's what it, it is. is
1: primarily pve but it's, it's going to so be kind like, of like i guess uh, the question
0: i have is like who cares about p 2 win at that point
1: well i think it's i think we're it'll come in it's going to be somewhat to, next to like destiny because destiny's pvp is not like just halo where you can just go and have there's just like pvp matches of like capture point and capture flag and stuff like that so and there's a lot of people who love doing that type of stuff Like that's all they do in destiny and it's really fun but like there is some there are some guns and some weapons in destiny like there's a chain gun that's out right now that makes it really just unfair to people who aren't paying the money to do that stuff so i get afraid of that aspect but if you don't ever want to do pvp it's never an issue um but like i just worry it's ea um they haven't come out with a good game in my eyes in like the past decade so
0: so is is there anything that anthem really does that isn't just it isn't just a uh, destiny or borderlands or something that has essentially come before it. Right. Isn't it, isn't it sort of that same basic formula? I
1: think it's a, it's a culmination of that same idea, the same formula, but really polished and really pretty, um, where it's okay. like, you know, open world events and, uh, missions and stuff. And this, the, you know, little raids and dungeons and stuff like that, but it's just, it is just a destiny or it's it's not reinventing the wheel. You know, it's, it's there's nothing to this thing where I'm like, wow, this is really, breaking it's just sure. you know, the, the main thing that's cool about it is the mobility and uh the the environment you're in is truly interesting and then like the combat and movement skills that you can play with it are are pretty pretty smooth and fun but beyond that it hasn't really invented the wheel too much so i'll wait and see i probably won't do anything until like maybe gate by something or something like that where i'll have something to play with i'm not going to do this by myself but I enjoyed right. it a lot, though. Uh, do you know when it comes out? It comes out, I believe, February 23rd is the official release date. Um, so I'm just going to wait and see. Um, I, I just, it's not going to be a thing where I'm, I'm not I'm – I've never pre-order anymore. I'm not an early adopter anymore. I kind of wait and sit and see what's going on. And then when, that's, when it's done and it's run a little bit of course for a couple of weeks, then I kind of get into it and see how it goes. Because I've been burned too many times before, and I'm not going to do it again. So – anyways that's anthem it's by bioware and uh, ea you can find it on origin i think it's you know by the time this goes out the demo is going to be over so if you haven't seen it uh too late anyways yeah <laughs> okay
0: uh all right so let's go uh, do our gentleman's challenge for the week and now it's time for the gentleman's challenge So the Gentleman's Challenge is a segment we do here on the Log Iris podcast where we like to give each other homework assignments. Uh, often these homework assignments uh, have to do with watching a TV show or a movie or playing a game or something like that. Uh, sometimes these these assignments are meant to drive the other person crazy and sometimes it's just to expose to something someone to something that's kind of cool, kind of fun, maybe they missed out on. Uh, we should warn you that every single thing we talk about here in the Gentleman's Challenge is very spoiler heavy. Uh, so if you really don't want to be spoiled about today's concepts of Uh, Roma and Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, uh, you've had time, uh, then uh, you probably want to wait until after you've experienced those for yourself. Uh, So once we're done kind of talking a little bit about it, giving our thoughts, we'll we'll quiz each other to ensure we did said homework. uh, And then
1: we'll laugh at Justin uh,
0: as he probably fails.
1: Okay, Uh, Justin, would you like to go first? Of course. So I was uh, assigned the classic uh, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman created by best all of them. Uh, It was a TV series that went from 1993 to 1998, so five solid seasons. Um, It stars Jane Seymour, Joe Lando. It's actually uh, actually
0: six seasons.
1: Six seasons. Uh, Jane Seymour, Joe Lando uh, plays the handsome Sully. And uh, I used to watch this when I was a kid, but it's – so young and so long ago that I don't remember really anything about it. I just know that my parents watched it and I kind of was in the room with them because it's, it's quality family TV. So I watched two episodes of this. The first episode was the pilot. The pilot's an hour and a half long. And the second episode is just like a, another episode. The show is kind of a, uh, I guess you could say like monster of the week type of thing, but you know, like your normal serial TV show where it's like, "Oh, this thing's happening. How can we fix it? And how can we like
0: crisis it? of the week?" I think it's probably yeah. yeah, yeah. I would it. say
1: monster of the week because uh, it is uh, Colorado Springs in the Old West. So uh, uh, okay. So uh, so basically, uh, Jane Seymour's character, Doctor Quinn. Uh, her name is Michaela Quinn uh was a was got a doctor degree in boston and she's one of very few women that has a doctor degree because back in old westerny times uh women didn't usually get doctorates. they're more uh, uh do people
0: normally call it a doctor degree yes I like um, i've heard medical degree i've heard but no 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 degree. they
1: call it they call it doctor degree doctor degree doctor got it yeah yeah, yeah. and they doctor call degree. they call veterinary degrees uh pet doctor degrees um, Pet doctor. can you let That's me okay. talk about my show just a second <laughs> Go ahead. I'm i I'm explaining Dr. Quinn for those who haven't seen this classic anyways she leaves her town of Boston after her father passes away because her father kind of believed in her and her medical uh, uh, pursuings her mother not so much her mother thought she should just be a homemaker and a wife and stuff like that so she leaves for the old west out to Colorado Springs to try and open up Her own little practice, because maybe out there she'll be accepted more as a medical practitioner. When she goes out there, she encounters this little town in Colorado Springs where uh, they have a local barber slash dentist slash doctor who doesn't like her. And in the pilot, it's played by the guy who was in Star Trek for a little while. His name is Cole Meany. You're talking about Miles O'Brien. From yeah, a, yeah from Star
0: Trek Next Generation. Then he was a regular in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Then incidentally enough, a couple years ago, he was in another Western television show called Hell on Wheels, where he was a, a main yeah, character.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, So he doesn't like it very much because he's like this woman's trying to take my job. I'm a doctor. All right, I can remove teeth. And so he doesn't like her so much. Uh, you have a general store owner who doesn't like her because again, she's a woman and women can't be doctors. It's impossible. So that's basically the, the premise of the first episode is she's trying to establish herself as a doctor and also getting the trust of the town and also of the natives. Currently happening in the town, the natives, the Cheyenne Indians, are trying to negotiate with the union. And by negotiate, I mean the union is trying to wipe them off the planet because it is uh, Native Americans back in the old Western times. They're trying to take their land. And so the Cheyenne natives are trying to uh, work with them to try and come up with a good deal. And eventually it turns into a slaughtering. Um, And uh, one of the men that work with the Cheyenne is Sully, uh, Byron Sully, who is a white man who has been adopted somewhat by these Native Americans. And he's incredibly handsome and has the most kissable lips. Um, Is he? I don't know. I don't like it. I think so. After time, he does. His His hair is just, it's a mess. He's a beautiful man. Uh, so I don't know. He kind of like befriends uh Dr. Quinn and helps her with her with her issues because anything that she physically can't do because she's a woman, uh, he physically does because he's a big burly handsome man. Like when she can't open up a door because it's boarded up, he uses big burly hands to help her out and break open the doors. So like that, anyways, uh, during the time that she's in the town, there's a raid on the Native Americans and the chief uh gets shot and he uses her to help uh to help heal him and when she heals him she does a tracheotomy with a feather and then like pulls a bullet out of his neck and saves the chief and so that's where she gets the name medicine woman from the cheyenne indians and so that's how she kind of like creates a relationship with the natives um over time she kind of like romances each one of the townspeople to kind of like trust her one of them has arrhythmia and she is unable to save him but you know. So she kind of like ruins the relationship with the general store owner. Uh, she gets her tooth pulled by the barber to kind of like say, oh, we're both doctors. Let's share minds, even though she didn't have right. a tooth pulled. By
0: the chief teleportation officer, please. Thank you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she pulls earwax out of the ear of the post office man uh, because he couldn't hear. So I was like she's slowly like gaining the trust of everybody. Um, and that's all the, the whole first episode. Meanwhile, The woman that, like, was looking for her, she's a widow. Um, She has three kids. While she's looking after her, she gets bit by a snake and dies. So then she is then asked to look after the kids for the old widow when the old widow passes away. Um, So now Dr. Quinn has three children she's not ready to raise uh, and is in the Old West being a general practitioner when no one respects women as doctors. So that's basically the whole idea of the show. Second episode, there's a flu epidemic, and uh, the kids like their kids' mother's best friend comes back into town and tries to stepping all over Doctor Quinn's feet when it comes to raising these kids. Uh, she saves out the town through with influenza, and then she also um, uh, almost dies herself. But then they use Indian medicine to help save her. And then the second episode is just kind of like her working hard and showing the people how much she's willing to work to dedicate herself to this this town, and also how much she loves the kids. So that's basically the first two episodes um show holds up it's a good show music's good um the the writing's good uh, the the action pieces and actions and, and settings good right um, I, I, it's a good show it hey, always was
0: i was gonna have a question i, I took it out a little while ago but i was gonna have a question i was gonna like so like this is a good show, right? Like, that was going to be my question. It is a good show. I was show. watching, I'm like, this is good. Like, I remember watching it as well, but I don't remember
1: it being so good. And then I watched it. I'm like, damn, this is pretty it's good. It's very good. Like, it's the house of its time, right? It's weird. <laughs> early 90s, this was the house of its time. It's it's good drama. I thought it was like a PG-13 Deadwood, you know? Uh, like Yeah, you can say that, too. A lot less C words, I guess. Yeah, um, but- that's true uh but like overall like it's good acting it's good storytelling jane seymour does a really really good job it's a solid 90s drama uh tv show and like the kids are good actors um i liked it when i was a kid but i don't remember any of it um but you know watching now like there's certain shows you go back and watch you're like oh my god like i did that with power rangers not too long ago that was a big mistake don't really well
0: i told you back in the day because you've always been a power ranger film like that that stuff's trash like it it's garbage. so bad like i am older than you by a couple of years so like when it was so like when power rangers was like gonna, getting getting big i was already too old for that crap i, I was already at a point where i can look back and be like that stuff's trash that's no teenage mutant ninja turtles that holds up this doesn't hold up no no
1: way yeah, so Dr. Quinn does, though, and it makes me want to watch Briscoe County Jr. as well. So, okay, so funny time.
0: story. That actually was, I wanted to do Briscoe County Jr., but I couldn't find a, a place where it was streaming free. So I went, I went Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman instead. All, All right, right. right, that sounds good. Cool. Yeah, I, I had a good show. Yeah. Briscoe County Jr. is a great show, and honestly, I know everyone says that, you know, Firefly is the biggest, most tragic, one-and-done cancellation of a TV show ever. It's Briscoe County Town- Jr. for me. Like, I just, oh, man, it was so good. Lord Bowler, oh, he was the best with the bowler hat. I love that guy.
1: The only thing about this show that was off-putting was the cast change from season one, from the pilot to the second episode, because... It must've been at least a year or two between the filmings of it. And so they recast like four or five people. Like the guy who's the barber is played by someone completely different. It's no longer the chief, uh, engineering officer. It's someone else. Uh, the guy who plays the store owner general store owner, a completely different person. Um, I'm pretty sure they recast Sully. I think they did. Uh, no,
0: they didn't. Uh, he Joe just looks Lando.
1: way different.
0: Yeah i don't think there's two years between when it's not uncommon and even today for there to be recastings after a pilot's uh form because there's like a whole pilot season people film the kids
1: the littlest kids a lot older
0: after uh i don't i don't think so man uh maybe a couple months but i mean that would be really strange uh there's there's some interesting storylines behind how jane seymour actually got this role so when when she when, So she wasn't really too keen on doing a lot of television at the time, but her husband, I can't remember his name. I remember that they were splitting up and not only that, but he was like taking like he some sort of financial difficulty. I can't remember the specifics, but he was he basically did something really horrible and lost their lost them like eight, nine million dollars something like that. And so she needed a job. Cause she had kids, and she was. Just, she told her agent, "She's like, I'll take anything." And like, this is the first one that they gave her, and she's like, "Oh, we have this Doctor Quinn." She's like, "I'll take it." And so they took it, and then yeah, it became a six six year thing.
1: So again, good show. Can't complain about it. Kind of makes me kind of want to rewatch the whole thing, but I can't remember anything about my Doctor Quinn Medicine Woman mm-hmm. that is supposed to be like a huge cultural event. So maybe it's not worth my time. But uh yeah i suggest to watch dr quinn miss if you have ever seen it uh, jane seymour is a talented and beautiful uh woman and also is fantastic at wedding crushers so yeah mm, yep
0: yep and her open hearts collection is is really uh, unbeatable it's, unbeatable it's, prices it's a, and it's a signature yeah yeah absolutely beautiful jewelry all right are you ready for your quiz absolutely okay so first question what was Sully's love at first sight moment with regard to Dr. Quinn? And how did both the audience and Dr. Quinn know that they were actually going to be a thing? So these are two separate moments. The first is Sully's love at first sight moment. And then something else that happened that allowed Dr. Quinn to know that he was like kind of, he was interested, you know?
1: Um, The only moment that I remember being like straight up like weird kind of was in the second episode when she is being sponge bathed down because she's got fever and he sees her bare back and his face is like, Oh, she's beautiful. That's the only thing I can uh, really think of when it comes to sorry, his Justin, reaction. That, that's incorrect. That that that
0: happened long before this. So okay, okay, very okay. very early on in the pilot episode, first 15 minutes after she arrives in Colorado Springs, she goes and she meets the preacher who is the one who set up the job. And then he was walking her back over to the to the uh, to the male guy because of the problem with Michael versus Michaela, and he thought the preacher thought it was going to be a man. It turns out she's a woman, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So as she's walking, she falls into the mud right there, and the camera cuts away, and we see Sully in his giant pon- poncho and hat stare at her for no reason, haven't been introduced to this character whatsoever, but there he is staring at her, and we know just from the look on his face. But he's gonna love that mud covered woman totally. Wait, Who and wouldn't? Then, who wouldn't? Yeah, right. And then second was at the end of the pilot, as uh, as Sully's leaving before like their Christmas dinner, before he returns for Christmas dinner, he's like leaving, and about fifty feet or so away, he turns around. Right? It's classic. It's classic. You gotta think, Doctor Quinn's like, if he turns around, that means he loves me, and then he turns around. And then and then he keeps going. But that, like if he turns around, though. So those are the two moments. Those are the two moments. It's beautiful, really. Question number two. All right, all right. When Charlotte gets bit by a rattlesnake, what does Dr. Quinn use to treat her? And actually, we'll start there and then I'll do the follow up. So what does Dr. Quinn use to treat her?
1: Um, She checks her heart. And then she gives her some type of. She starts doing some stuff in a mortar and pestle to try and give her. She tries giving it to her in the water, but she doesn't drink it. I forget what the item was that she's trying to give her. I think it was. I think it was some type of like Tylenol to get rid of the swelling, or some type of thing that is like Tylenol. I forget what it was. She just said a lot of weird stuff. Right. I don't know, but like she started mortar and pestling. And then they told her to kind of stop and let her die. So I can't really remember the item that they gave her. So that's
0: incorrect like because she was doing that whole mortar and pestle thing, but she was doing that to eventually give her something. But she never actually uses whatever is in the mortar and pestle to treat her. There's something else, and she has the daughter go and fetch it, and that's apple cider. Now, oh, a yeah, follow-up question: <laughs> Do you think that using apple cider to treat a rattlesnake bite should have made her look more or less like an actual doctor?
1: I mean, I think like apple juice is beautiful is is a great item for people to use. So I think it's as professional as possible. Give her something delicious before she dies. So I think that's what it is. Uh, she's trying to make her go and go go away in a, a nice way. It's all this. that's that's correct. But your explanation left
0: some wanting. So the reason it's a good thing is because apple cider, when you drink it, it's one of those weird things that makes you pee and poop at the same time. And so right. she's probably right. like, I don't know if the rattlesnake venom comes out in the urine and comes out in the stool. So here, drink some apple cider. <laughs> we'll get rid of it. So I'm going to give you point two five point two five. All right. All right. All right. Question number three. So, when Dr. Quinn was trying to leave the saloon in the pilot episode, uh, after conversing uh, with the uh, brothel worker, uh, do you think Sully's arrival might have exacerbated things? Wait, say that again? I'm sorry. Okay, so... Sully goes into the, or excuse me, Dr. Quinn goes into the saloon because one of the brothel workers whispered to her outside, you know, through the window, like, I need your help, right? And so female problems. And as she was trying to leave the saloon, she's kind of getting harassed and catcalled. But then something happens to allow her to leave. It is Sully's arrival. And my question to you is, do you think Sully's arrival actually helped or just exacerbated things?
1: Um, I think him coming in and throwing someone at a wall covered in glass, uh, and then punching two other guys while throwing a tomahawk, uh, made this, it really calm the situation down. Like it made, he really, I think he settled the dispute. Yeah. Uh, yep. it's, 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 it's the same thing as, Hey guys, guys, let's just take a second and, and relax. Okay. Yep. Let's think about yep. what's going on. So him throwing someone into a wall of glass. Completely destroying, I would assume, like a hundred dollars back then, a hundred dollars worth of of alcohol and and, and pieces of glass uh, made things better um, and didn't exacerbate the situation at all.
0: Yeah, that is one hundred percent correct. That's
1: the correct answer. That's what, uh, thought,
0: that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I I wrote down. Uh, no, I, I, it was not at all an overreaction to what was going on. At all. <laughs> and so the follow up question then. So one of the things that he does is he throws his hand axe at one of the men one of the man uh men in that are harassing Dr. Quinn and and hits him in the arm. Do you think that the sound that was made is actually the right sound that happens when an
1: axe hits a man in the arm? Uh well I don't think it hit him what it was was like he hits him right he, in the wrist like, to knock yeah, the like, gun out of his he hand. Not the gun out, but the way he threw it, it looked like he hit it with the with the back of the tomahawk, you know, to kind of like dead you know like the the blunt part to kind of knock out of his hand so in my eyes from what i got out of that situation was he hit it with the back of the axe so that's why it made that noise otherwise that would have been his hand completely getting torn off uh by a, a hatchet so uh, that 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 would be my answer i think i'm going with the uh, the positive route and saying it was the back of the axe So yes it is the razor
0: i'm sorry that's incorrect uh, i was looking for a funny response and you didn't give me one uh, so I'm oh. gonna give you a half credit for this question. Because I gave the a first legitimate half answer. Was kind of funny. And then the second half, that was just terrible. You were supposed to make jokes. I was setting you I up and not bullet. understand
1: how this podcast works. No. I haven't. After 43 episodes, I still don't get what's going on. Uh, oh, yeah. where are we right now? What's going on? I think this is the forty 40- <laughs> this is the forty
0: second episode, and we also did like three practice ones. So no matter which way you look at it, forty three is the absolute wrong number of episodes that we've done. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Uh, okay. Question number four. Let's pause for a second. You're kind of breaking up a little bit. Yeah. Just start talking again. You're kind of like
1: Who are you? Kind of popping. Who are you? Okay, Hello, okay. balls, penis.
0: Okay. I don't know if it was lag or if it was just like maybe, maybe like your beard or something was hitting the microphone. Okay. Let's try this again. Question number four. In episode number two, what famous military man came looking for, quote, Indians, and what was his most defining trait?
1: Uh, Colonel Mustard, and it was his wonderful uh, mustache slash goatee. So that's that's who came up. <laughs> <with
0: him. laughs> Did you just say Colonel
1: Mustard? <laughs> what is this, a game of Clue? What? Who was it? Custer, <laughs> was Custer, John- Custer, 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 <laughs> Custer. Custer. Colonel Mustard Custer. It, <laughs> it was General Custer. Whatever. Colonel Mustard. I that, fixed it. I fixed it. That counts. Colonel Mustard. Colonel Mustard in the in oh. the uh in the ballroom with uh, <laughs> the billiard room with the with the lead pipe. Oh my god. Oh god.
0: Alright, All I'm gonna give you half credit because you got the ah. great big, big bushy mustache. You got the great big bushy mustache. I'm not giving you credit for Colonel Mustard. Okay. Oh my god. I got it. Fixed it. Question number five. So do you ever think that there, there were plans for a spin-off show called Dr. Soren dental woman? Oh, I hope so.
1: Oh, I hope so. That'd do you know why I'm asking fun. this? Um, because she gets her tooth pulled by, uh, the, the, the chief engineering officer, right? as was all about the dental stuff yeah sort of
0: okay so first of all everyone had really nice teeth Which,
1: yeah oh they had but, wonderful teeth
0: yeah the teeth are way too nice like watch deadwood watch some of these other you know, other shows and movies and they don't have his good teeth so second so i was wondering like who's doing their teeth because apparently i mean they were mocking colini's knowledge of dent dentistry like it's like oh you he know he's doing it wrong he's pulling teeth well apparently he was doing pretty well because everyone had really nice teeth hey, great secondly job. Her name's Quinn, and I had a very long-running character name called Quinn on World of Warcraft. Uh-huh. And you had a long-running character, name. I, I see. see. Yeah. yeah so, uh, you, so basically, you're not going to get any points for this because you just, you just didn't. I didn't see those. Didn't think th- of anything I those those things linked together at all. Yep. 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 yep, yep. Okay. So, nothing with question one. Nothing for question two. Half question, half credit for question three. Half credit for question four. Uh, actually, no, I think I gave you 0. 0.25 for the, for the second question. So I'm going to give you a grand total of 1.25 out of five. You know what?
1: I'll take it. Um, I feel like I still demonstrated accurate knowledge of the material and love for the show. So I will take whatever points you give yes. me because I, I enjoyed, uh, the viewing, which was enough of a, 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 a reward in itself. So sure. Sure, sure, sure. All right. So yeah, I'll take it. Okay. My turn,
0: so Justin assigned me to our goofy, geeky podcast, The Netflix Film by Alfonso Cuarón, Roma. Uh, it's a very uh, popular film uh, going on right now because it's getting all sorts of accolades and awards and nominations, uh, and it's also scored Netflix, its first uh, best picture nomination for the Academy Awards. It's all uh, very important. Uh, very excellent. Now, Alfonso Cuarón is actually the director of uh, one of my favorite films, uh, which is uh, which is Children of Men. He also directed, I believe, it was Gravity. Like last week when we were talking about uh, what the other movie was, that's the one I couldn't really remember. It was Gravity, which is a very good. Uh, but I think he, del- but Children of Men was like my favorite, so that's what I really like. So Roma is uh, it's it's not in any way, shape, or form like science fiction. Uh, like children of men, or even science-related, like gravity, it's instead uh, more of a, a kind of an autobiographical pick on his part, semi-autobiographical about his time growing up in Mexico City, um, and it follows uh, a specific live-in maid of a middle-class household uh, named Cleo, uh, and she is uh, she's one of two maids or, or housekeepers uh, for a particular family. Um, and it follows her life over the course of a year and it's, it's all in, it's entirely in black and white. It's very artistic. Um, but the, the basic movie itself, what it covers at the very beginning, the, uh, there's really, it's hard to really put a plot on this because there's not necessarily like a big overarching, um, starting of the movie. This is, this is like what's happening. This is like the starting point. And then kind of moving, it's more like, again, like a year in the life. But eventually, about midway through the movie, I think there starts to be a very uh, clear storyline. So for the first half an hour to 40 minutes of the two-hour movie, it's it's more just like these are the things that are happening in our life. Sort of establishing the basics of the size of the family, which is a very large family with multiple kids. Um, the the father is somewhat absentee. He doesn't really come home until very late. And he's often uh, out of town, uh, out of the country for business because he's a doctor of some kind. He's doing research and whatnot. Um, he's also we learn later having an affair, uh, which becomes one of the centerpieces. Like I said, of the story as the story begins to emerge, uh, and the and the story in the uh, the family kind of falls apart. The marriage uh, of the the fam of the the husband and wife of the family that Cleo uh, house keeps for uh, they fall apart. Uh, the other storyline that often that also emerges is that uh, Cleo and Adela, who's the name of the other housekeeper, um, they're kind of seeing boyfriends at the time, uh, and Clio uh, she she sees a a pretty strange man uh, who uh, really likes martial arts uh, and so much so that he likes to demonstrate uh, his prowess with martial arts uh, by stripping completely naked uh, and standing there in the middle of a very small bedroom uh, using a shower rod curtain as like a bow staff to demonstrate for her as a way to uh, encourage her to have sex with him uh his martial arts ability saying you've how, never done that you've never done that no not with a shower rod curtain come on man it's
1: ridiculous Who's it's It an actual bow staff actual <laughs> yes. staff, right
0: i have like 10 of them it's ridiculous all right you're right so so anyway uh it looks like oh they're in love et cetera et cetera except you know he's not a good guy because she gets preggers uh and she tells him this uh while at a movie and he's like, okay, it's all good. It's just a good thing, right? We're having a kid. Yay. Oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And she's like, but it's it's nearly the end of the movie. And she's like, yeah, but I can't hold it. And he goes, and he leaves. And he's just gone. <laughs> he just goes away. She sees him a couple times later in the movie and tries to be like, hey, this is this kid. And, she's, and he's like, no, it's not my kid. And if you come near me, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. and i beat the crap out of your child, et cetera, et cetera. So what starts to emerge is the story of Cleo being pregnant, not knowing what to do, and the mother of the family uh, that she that she helps, uh, Sophia, she's she's trying to assist her in this process, right? In the process of kind of going to the hospital, getting this taken care of, making sure that it's going to have a healthy happy, healthy happy kid. All the while, Sophia's own marriage is falling apart. So in some way, you see these thematic consistency or the sort of the parallels between these two uh, between these two storylines. Um, ultimately, what happens, uh, there's like a backdrop of some sort of riots going on, um, which according to some very brief uh, research I did, uh, were the Los Halcones, which are the Hawks, which is apparently a paramilitary group that was uh, uh, going on. So there's all sorts of police clubbings and roving use that were riots and stuff like that um, going on in the streets. But that's more like a backdrop of the actual uh, what's actually going on. It's much more close and family oriented. Uh, so. Ultimately, um, Sophia makes sure that Cleo gets proper uh, proper attention from doctors and things like that. But sadly, uh, Cleo, um, the baby is stillborn. Um, and as a way to help Cleo kind of move past this, Sophia invites Cleo to come with the family on this vacation um, to the beach. Uh, and while they're there the, some of the kids, uh, while they're in the water swimming, like they nearly drown and Cleo like trudges out into the water and she doesn't know how to swim, but still saves them. And then it becomes like this big, uh, big emotional moment that is, um, actually depicted on, I think the cover of the main, uh, the main movie shot that people are seeing if you look at the movie poster where like they're all kind of hugging her and about how much they love her. So even though she lost her own child, like she has all these kids that she's been helping care for, uh, for so long, uh, as, Sophia also breaks down and reveals that like partly because one of her kids discovered this, that the reason for the trip was partly to get away and for partly to help with, with Cleo, but also it was to give her husband who had been seeing another woman and their, their marriage is now done. Uh, gave him time to move all their, all this stuff out of the apartment or the house that they actually lived in. And so by the time they get back, uh, all his stuff is gone and the film just ends much like it, like how it started. With Cleo, just kind of going about the business of keeping the house clean, um, which I think she goes up onto the rooftop to do um, to do to, uh, to do laundry, like she did at the very beginning. Uh, so, yeah, that's basically the movie. Um, what did I think of it? Like, it's 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 well done. Like, it's hard. I'm not, I can't criticize anything about like how well it's done. It's it's. I mean, Alfonso Quan. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly, by the way. Uh, he's fantastic. He's absolutely fabulous. Uh, but at the same time, there were parts of this movie that a little that frustrated me a little bit. Um, I would say that it was a little indulgent at times with the way certain things were shot. Uh, the opening sequence is is elongated to the point where it becomes uncomfortable uh, with how long we're just watching these credits roll and like this swooshing of water on the ground uh, as I think it's Cleo or it might have been Adela are cleaning the driveway where the dog tends to take a bunch of craps and the father gets really bad because there's dog crap everywhere. And it's just like there for a little bit too long. There's a lot of these like really still shots that aren't particularly interesting. Um, I know we talked about it a little bit off air, you and I, Justin, and how like he likes to do uh, these long shots. Like in Children of Men, there's that one huge, amazing sequence when he's going, when he's like chasing uh, in this uh, this kind of rundown city, he's trying to find um, the pregnant woman. Like when I say he, I mean Clive Owen. This is in Children of Men and he's like chasing her down in the middle of a war zone. And it's amazing. Um, But this, it's just... I don't know if, if what was actually going down in the scene was all that, um, compelling or interesting. So, uh, there were times in which I felt like it was a little indulgent. And I think that the opening parts, the opening 30 to 45 minutes of the movie, I I, I honestly feel like I was getting very restless. I was, I was, I was feeling like, okay, let's pick up the pace of the plot. Let's actually find something here. Um, now part of this is my own, uh, I think my own bias, I'm, I've never been a big fan of day in the life or a year in the life or a week in the life type stories. I've never really been a big fan of those because I've always felt like the stories that I think are most interesting to tell, like contractually, it's like the idea of like, I'm telling the story because something particularly fantastic or something particularly important is happening. And it took a little too long, I think, for that to actually transpire. Now, some of this was going on in the background because it was like the, the decline of the marriage between Sophia and and, and Antonio, um, the parents of the family that Cleo house keeps for, but they ultimately, I don't know. It's a little, it was a little too quiet, and it felt like it could get going more. I was also kind of sad that there wasn't more of the backdrop that um, that we couldn't get more of that kind of political backdrop. I wish that had a little bit more exploration, or at least there were point of view, there some sort of points of view within the film itself that would have given given us access to it, especially since Cleo's um, Cleo's boyfriend or baby daddy or whatever um, he seems to be part of at least one or two of those uh, roving youth youth groups that are like sort of riding at the time. Um, Yeah. So like it was good and I I can definitely see why it's getting the praise it's getting. It's at times there are some amazing shots, but ultimately I I was, I definitely don't put this, if I'm looking at just his films, this is not my favorite of his. Um, And maybe it's my own bias as somebody who wants like more kind of fantastical or genre driven stories and, But at the same time it it just felt like it was sort of missing something it was too quiet at times um and a little overstayed it's welcome for the first for the first half or so um i think the latter part i think the second hour of the film was supremely better than the first um and that's one of the reasons why i feel like if we would have gotten there faster i feel like it would have been a more coherent story uh and things would have the pace of it wouldn't have been so unsettling in the very beginning because um, there were times in the opening where I, the first half an hour, like there were times we were just like there was like a still camera that was set up on like the second floor of their house, and it was just doing like a slow pan as she's just going around like folding clothes and stuff like that. And I, I just I don't know, like maybe I approached it the wrong way, but it just it, I don't know, it wasn't it, it just it was pretty artsy fartsy. It was very artsy fartsy, like, like like which is like our, our dumbass way of putting like of putting it, but it's what it definitely what it felt like. So. So good movie, um, go into it knowing what it is. Uh, if you are a person who likes uh, likes more kind of art house style film as opposed to more like big budget mainstream style stuff, like this is definitely something that would work for you. I mean, the fact that it's, it's a modern film being shot in black and white, uh, I, I think is like your first clue <laughs> that this is a film that's being done uh, as more of a passion project by a man who's trying to tell kind of a semi-autobiographical story. And if you're open to that, I think you're gonna get a ton out of it. Like, even though it wasn't my favorite by his, I still ultimately enjoyed and got something out of it. Um, so I'm not, yeah. Uh, so beyond that, I, I guess I can't, I can't really say. So for me, it's, like a, it's a good, it's a positive review, but not necessarily like one I embrace like as fully as some of his other work. So that's, those are oh, my right. thoughts.
1: All right, so you ready for your, qu- your quiz questions then?
0: Probably not, cause I watched it like two weeks ago and I don't really remember anything. So I was all going right, by sorry. my notes. I hope I I'm pretty sure all of that was accurate, but I could totally be wrong. That could have been the plot to
1: episode three of Dr. Quinn Medicine Women, for all I know. Uh it actually was, so it's weird. Uh but anyways, let's try it anyways. Uh first question. When the girls uh went to go eat, so when the two housekeepers went to go eat um at the restaurant, they they did their at night they did their, like their sit-ups and their toe touches to kind of like, you know, go to bed and stuff. And then the next day they ran to the restaurant. On the TV, there was some type of like feat of strength being done by some type of like a a variety show. Do you remember what was being done on the TV, this feat of strength? I do indeed, sir. Uh, Professor Zovek was trying to pull a car with his teeth. You're absolutely right, sir. He was pulling a car with his teeth. So absolutely right.
0: Yes, I wrote that down. I even got the name Professor
1: Zovek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next question. When the mother told the family they were going to take a trip to see their uncle, okay, what did the boys th- want to go do instead? What was it they were they were saying? Like she goes, "We're going to go on a trip." They go, "Oh, we're going here," and she goes, "No, we're going to see your uncle." Where they want to go? Was it Disney World or Disneyland? One of the two. Jeff, I'm going to need a proper answer here. It's got to be Gosh one, darn it, I hate or, the one or the they other. That's unfair. One or the other. They needed to go to Disney. Mm, no, I need more specific. More specific.
0: Hmm. Hmm, hmm,
1: hmm. Think about the time. Think
0: about Hmm. where they were in Mexico. So I'm going to say Disneyland, probably
1: the California one. Absolutely right, sir. Disneyland. All right. You're a jerk, making me have to pick. So So yes, Disneyland. Okay. (laughs) Okay. okay. Um, can you explain to me in great detail the uh, astonishing feat that the professor did in front of his students, his pupils? that no other man is possible it's possible for them doing other than Dalai Lamas and men of extreme concentration and vigor what was it that he did that no one else could possibly have done i need to explain it in the most complex way you can so everyone in the audience understands the physical feat that he accomplished wait what i don't understand the question (laughs) so like they were doing like they're practicing in like the soccer field you know with their sticks And then he's like, one day you'll be as skillful as me and you can do this. And then he did something. And he said, only Dalai Lamas and those of great uh, concentration and prowess and vigor are able to do it. So, can you explain to me the mood that he did that no other man is possible of doing unless they tried really, really hard? The answer is no, because I honestly don't remember. Uh, I I thought it was the funniest part of the movie. I totally
0: forgot this part. I totally am blanking. Um, Hmm. Like the father did this? This is Antonio? No, the
1: professor. The professor did it. Oh, okay.
0: Um, oh, man. Like, did he balance a ball on his head or something? I, don't, I honestly don't remember.
1: So he stood on one foot and then took his other foot and put it against his calf, making his right knee uh, jut out to the side. Meanwhile, connecting his two fingers on each hand at the top above his head in somewhat of a triangle position. And he just sat there with mm. extreme balance. No other man was able to do it. But you know who was able to do it? Who? She was able to do it because she was watching ah. and she did it really, really easily. It's a so, yoga pose. Yeah, it's yeah. also really easy to do. And it's funny that uh, mm. not a single other person was able to do it. I thought it was hilarious because it's like everyone's like, it's impossible. It's amazing. And it's just like I don't, don't put your foot on a calf. It's really not that hard. All right. So sorry, Jeff, unfortunately, didn't get that one next question. Uh When they go to the restaurant and the mother tells the kids that the father is not in Ottawa, but instead he's leaving them, right? And that he still loves the kids, but he's leaving the family. They eat ice cream and they sit out in front while a wedding is going on. What is the mascot of the restaurant that is quite prominent in this very long, awkward shot? of depression and sadness that he just likes to do throughout this entire movie. Oh, crap. I do remember this one.
0: Oh, man. I have it in my notes. Hang on. Uh, hang on. I'll be back in like 10 minutes as I go through all my notes. Wait a minute. Um, I, took, I took notes. I just don't remember what it was. Oh, my God. This is me flipping through my notes. Definitely not. you going through Netflix, right? No, I'm I literally... That's paper. I have notes. I'm trying to remember. I remember
1: this. I wrote this It was down. a very weird shot.
0: I know. And I was
1: like, what is this?
0: I know what you're talking about, but I can't
1: remember because I'm old. <laughs> ah, I don't remember. I can't find it. I thought I wrote it down. Oh my God. Crap.
0: I cannot.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Justin. I believe the answer is in my notes, uh-huh, uh-huh, but I can't uh-huh. find it. And so, to prevent this segment from going too long, and knowing that I'm already beating you two to
1: 1.25, I'm gonna say I don't know. Something it was a tremendously huge crab like okay. an insanely huge crab. And it was this shot of these kids crying, eating ice cream. And then she, the, the housekeeper is on the side. He didn't ask him as well. The focus is on this ginormous crab in the background. And this family is getting married right next to this crab. It's so strange.
0: It my I just found it.
1: Well, sir, I'm sorry. I know. It it's too late. late. <laughs> it's
0: too late. I know. It's too late. It's too late.
1: I thought it was just so weird. I had to, I was like, this has to be recognized. As I something. wrote, so. I, I wrote, crabs make children cry. it took me a second to interpret it okay okay last question ready yeah what is a worse assignment artsy fartsy bullcrap or a uh roger corman film what's the worst assignment
0: i know this is really this is tough so let me just walk through this on the one hand i feel like you know my intelligent brain the side of my brain is being challenged and appealed to by watching kind of an art house film, so to speak. Right. Uh, Then on the other side, I feel like the funny, we can sort of talk about this and make fun of it. Side of my brain is being appealed to by like crappy Roger Foreman, exploitive, like sci-fi movie, fantasy movies from the eighties. So I feel like from the perspective of a entertaining podcast and segment, that the worst assignment or the worst of those two would be the art house one. Uh, But from the sake of my sanity, uh, I I feel it's the other way around. So I'm going to say for the, so, so what perspective are we looking at? Are we looking at in terms of, of what's better for the podcast or what's better for me personally, for you personally, for me personally, uh, I would, I would much prefer uh, the arts, uh, the art house stuff. So I would say the, the worst assignment is the Roger Corman. Uh,
1: Yeah, sure. You'll get that one. That's fine. (laughs) <laughs> but uh i do think for the podcast you're right though right yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is far superior yeah um, let's make some crap. jokes about
0: this family who that <laughs> fell apart and this woman who had a stillborn baby yeah That's it's weird. hilarious right let's talk about let's it Make all sorts like we can't there's nothing we can do about that so there was right, a dude so. who dressed up strangely and tried to pull a car with teeth and then there was like the mexican version of like the three stooges and yeah, there are those things, and there's a bunch of dog crap that got ran over, so yeah. you know,
1: yeah. Anyways, you got one. Let's see here. Uh, you got the man pulling with teeth, This not two. Uh, you didn't, yeah, you got, you got four. Did you do no you, did, you got, no, you got I got three, yeah, three, three out of five, three out of five. So there you go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, so, uh, that is uh, Roma. So, you got new challenges.
0: I I do have new challenges. So, okay. I've got two things. I'm giving you a head start on a future challenge. Okay. It's it's not due next week. We'll say it's due in maybe two or three weeks. I'm not entirely sure. And this is inspired by your good pal Gabe, who wants to to play the Resident Evil 2 remake.
1: Oh, come on. uh,
0: So I decided to. Now you don't have to purchase anything because I'll family yeah, yeah, share fam- it Family you. share yeah, yeah, I will so family share it because I've already purchased it and I will. I, and we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks because I do want to talk about it on the podcast. But I figure what we can do is instead of mis- me doing like a separate review of it, we can kind of do a shared conversation during your quiz of it. And so we'll plan that for two or three weeks. We'll see how that goes along it takes So you're going to play it. I'm going to play it. And yeah. But for mm. next week, mm. I would like you to watch the... What I am assuming is a wonderful film because I have a 97%... Uh, score for it for Netflix. Netflix is saying there's a 97% match okay, between so my taste From everything
1: we've been watching. It's got to be <laughs> what good.
0: What this film is it's a film called Left Behind
1: with Nicolas Cage that's set during the Rapture. <laughs>
0: okay. I'd like you to watch that on Netflix,
1: please. Thank you. All right. Uh, I was inspired by Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman and you kind of going back to early 90s childhood. TV shows. So my challenge to you is you're going to watch two episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And now these episodes can be found on uh, YouTube. Now they're two bucks each. Uh, If you need me to I'll pay for care, But uh, I can't find them anywhere else other than YouTube. But I really want and there's two in particular that I remember as a kid that really messed me up. All Right? One episode is called The Tale of the Renegade virus. Now, There. Writing this down. One reason there. is because uh, you'll see just by the clip of the picture in the front why it's weird. And as a child, it probably creeped me out. And second reason is for that one is I want to see early 90s perspective of how viruses work. So that's why I, I really want to go back and see that again. The next one is... Hey,
0: Justin, are you under the impression that um, bi- bio- biology was, was like a 21st century invention?
1: Well, I thought it was a uh, computer virus. That's what I thought the way it's all it looks like cyber oh
0: okay okay okay
1: i didn't the realize. next one uh i just remember this one so i wanted to watch it again it's the tale of the pinball wizard it's the last episode of the first season it's where people like turn into a video game in a mall so you got those two are you afraid of the dark episodes or two dollars each if you need to i can supplement this money for you but uh they're on youtube and full episodes 25 minutes each i'm looking forward to this 90s nostalgia from when i was a child so i hope they hold up yeah. Sure.
0: Sure, 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 sure. This is this is this is good. I can I can I can work with this. I can work with this.
1: Hopefully no. you don't get too spooked out. Uh much like how I will with uh I'm like you, Jeff.
0: Justin. I recognize that these are fictional things that aren't happening.
1: I know, this is pretty spooky. They're gonna seem pretty real, so are you afraid of the dark? I don't know if you understand the quality of film we're talking here, so
0: I am not afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of what's hiding in the dark. That's okay. what I'm afraid of. Could be anything. Could be absolutely anything. Could be a giant crab, an ice cream. <laughs> all right let's close this this episode down uh, So if uh, if you are enjoying what you're hearing or perhaps if you were not enjoying what you' If you would be so kind as to hop on the old iTunes uh, and leave us a nice little nice little review, a little, little rating, that would be great. Uh, or if you don't want to get on the old iTunes, you can get on whatever uh, system in which you're getting our podcast from, uh, Spotify, YouTube, whatever. Uh, we would love to hear uh, some feedback. You can also catch us online. I uh, most most easily can be contacted on Twitter at LollyGaggerCo. Justin can be found on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Jehoofa. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have any ideas for what uh, I could uh, assign to Justin in the future, please let me know. If you have any ideas for what Justin can assign to me, that would be great too. We're always looking for inspiration. Uh, Justin, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to leave with our
1: uh, with our wonderful esteemed uh, audience? Just smash that mother like button. You know what I mean. Uh, like, subscribe, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, floss it on them. Did you say floss? Yeah. Did you say, did you say floss? Floss Z- on. Z- um, Dab it on, it, yeah. on the haters. Yeah.
0: All right. All right. Good night.